Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness and your power and your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we come before you today open. Lord, stoke the fires of our hearts as we come and worship you, Lord. As we participate with you in that process,
Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus said the first commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sin and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you absolution remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mercy. Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy.
everlasting God, whose will it is to restore all things in your well-beloved Son, the King of kings and Lord of lords, mercifully grant that the peoples of the earth, divided and enslaved by sin, may be freed and brought together under his most gracious rule, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen. All right. The mighty army of the Lord assembles. <laughs> Excellent. It's great to see you all. You can slide in here a little bit closer. All right. Reach out your hands and pray with me as we pray for these young people as they go down to learn the wisdom of the Lord in Sunday school. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless each one of these young children. Lord, that you would fill their hearts and minds with wisdom and courage, Lord. That you would strengthen them for all the battles that are ahead. Lord, that you would make them mighty warriors in your kingdom. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our first reading this morning comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23, beginning in verse 1. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people. You have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. Behold... I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, says the Lord. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he is to be called. 
the Lord, our righteousness. The word of the Lord. Our psalm this morning is Psalm 46, and we'll read it responsively by the half verse. God is our refuge and strength. Therefore, we will not fear. Though its waters roar and be troubled, there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. The Lord of hosts is with us. Come, behold the works of the Lord. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. Be still and know that I am God. The Lord of hosts is with us. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. This morning's second reading comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven, and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. The word of the Lord. according to St. Luke. St. Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 33. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, 
there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we, indeed, justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. So I just wanted to acknowledge for a moment, before we dive into our story from Exodus today, the wonderful nature of this Sunday as Christ the King Sunday. And it's really summed up uh, for us in the Colossians reading that Thomas read for us this morning. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. If you hear nothing else today then remember this, he has delivered you from all the powers of darkness. Did you know that? Like, there's nothing in this world, neither death, nor life, nor sin, nor persecution, nor suffering. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. He chose you. And it's really fascinating. How cool is it that we read I mean, cool isn't the right word. How profound is it that we read about the crucifixion on Jesus' Christ the King Sunday? Why do we do that? That seems absurd. He was crucified. He was betrayed. It was his lowest point in all of his ministry. Why would we read about that? Because it was simultaneously his coronation, his crowning crowned with thorns and raised up that all the world would know that he is the king of kings and lord of lords that's why it's written in all those languages this is the king of the jews god is just like you know they always say that thing right the world's playing checkers this guy's playing chess right it's like he's playing a different game that's exactly the case with god he's just playing a different game We think your coronation should include a heck of a lot of bowing, maybe some incense, some gold, some nice clothes. 
God thinks it should be the cross. And then he says, and you get to be co-heirs with me in the kingdom. Well, where do you think you get inducted into his kingdom? On the cross. This is not even what I'm preaching about today, but it is so good. It does tie in, though, because today we're talking about the golden calf. How ironic that we're talking about a people who chose to worship a gold cow instead of their true king. Right? We'll touch base. All of this ties together, I promise you. All right. So what's going on? We all kind of know this story of the golden calf, right? In fact, it's probably something that as a child you thought was quite hilarious. Who are these dumb people who would worship a cow? Like they don't have an NFL team called the Golden Calves. Nobody would take that seriously. What is going on here? Well, let me talk about this here with the Israelites. What's happened, the past couple of weeks we took a break from them being the stubborn, foolish people that we all are as well, right? We took a break from their stubborn, foolish stories. We're coming back with a vengeance on this one. They are at Mount Sinai, where God himself is coming on the mountain with thunder and lightning and fire and presence and glory, so much so that they are afraid to go up the mountain. They know something's there. They know there's power there. And in the midst of that situation where God has called Moses up, and then he goes down and he shares what God says to people, and then he's called him up again. And this is the one where God, with his literal finger, I don't know what that means, but it's true. His finger writes the Ten Commandments on the tablets, the tablets of stone. That's pretty impressive. We don't have a lot of instances of God coming out of heaven and writing something on stone for us. In fact, there's only one other one, and that one was uh, writing on the wall, telling a whole kingdom that they were going to get destroyed. So it's a dramatic moment here. And the people of Israel get a little bit antsy because Moses has been up on the mountain for 40 days. That's a long time. I wonder what's happening up on that mountain. Has he abandoned us? These thoughts are starting to go throughout their head. Where is our leader? He's been gone a long time. And their solution is to make a golden image of a calf. It's a little odd, but let's read through it because it makes more sense than you think. Chapter 32, beginning in verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, that's a bad idea. No. <laughs> Aaron did not say that, unfortunately. Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters. Bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. 
And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Hmm. So what's going on here? First of all, we like to make fun of the golden calf, as I have alluded to. Why in the world would they bow down to a golden calf? And yet, we worship a glowing rectangle. So maybe there's some connections here that we're missing. Because if you told these people back then, oh yeah, there's a shiny thing that I spend most of my time on, that I'm beholden to, that every time it vibrates, I have to make sure I spend my time and I do my thing and I follow up and I do these things, or this shiny thing that I hang on my wall and I sit in front of in adoration for hours every night, these glowing rectangles. If we had explained that to these people, they would have been like, why didn't you make a calf? What do you mean a glowing rectangle? That makes no sense. So what's going on here? Just like us, the Israelites are influenced by their culture and the surrounding ideas in their age. What does the calf represent? It represents life to a people who are in the desert eating birds and bread all the time. A piece of steak becomes really important to you. Why do you think they made a golden calf? Well, it represented abundance, life, the thing that God hadn't given them. God gave them fowl. He gave them birds to eat. He gave them food and manna and water, but he didn't give them steak. They were trying to create out of their imaginations that which they thought was the best thing. They And moreover, they said, This will represent Yahweh. That's odd. Aaron said tomorrow will be a feast to Yahweh, and they're looking at this golden calf. Because you've got to realize that they're still trying to figure out who God is. And this is just their latest mistake in a series of mistakes about who God is. Remember the earlier mistakes where they said, why didn't he just leave leave us in Egypt? Has he brought us to the desert to kill us? That was a mistake about who they thought God was. And this is just another mistake about who they think God is. It's kind of like when we get pretty confident that it's our money that bought us the house. It's kind of like when we get pretty confident that it's that savings account that's going to last us through our retirement and make sure that we don't have any wants or needs. It's kind of when we go out and we buy that lottery ticket because it's the biggest winning ever. And if I won it, my whole life would be perfect would be better. And so I've got to go spend my money on this impossible odds because maybe then I would be saved. It's kind of like when we confuse that which God gives us with God. They were confusing the prosperity represented by a golden calf with God. And so maybe they aren't so, let's say, primitive as we might think. Or so backwards. Maybe they're just like us. Struggling to figure out who God is to them. In the absence of the one guy who's been telling them what God is saying. And then we get to the end of this and we get another hint. And the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. We can use our imagination here. In fact, the word for eat here is actually more like cattle being uh, fed in abundance in like a trough. There's like this car, this thing. It's not the normal like they sat down and they had a nice meal. It's like they gorged themselves. 
They gorged themselves. They ate and they drank and they play. And that word play gets brought back in the New Testament. And we get hints that we're talking sexual immorality. We're talking doing the things that they have just been told not to do, basically. And it teaches us two things. First of all, idolatry of any kind leads to all the other sins. As soon as you replace God with that which is not God in your mind and in your heart, you're tempted by the entire gamut. There's no end to where our depravity might lead us if we don't have God at the highest in our life. And the other thing it teaches us is that we have an inborn tendency to make God in an image that will allow us to do whatever we want. Because that golden calf didn't have a problem with them eating, drinking, and playing. So Moses is up on the mountain, and Yahweh, the guy who literally created all that is, the guy who is the Lord of all creation, who knows everything, is very aware of these people's sin. And so he starts talking to Moses, and he says, oh, I love this. And Yahweh said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way I have commanded. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. It's kind of like when your wife calls you and says, You're going to have to deal with your son. God's telling Moses, Your people who you brought up out of the land of Egypt. And he's paralleling what the Israelites said. We don't know where Moses is, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. They said that just a second ago. So the problem is they started to think of Moses as their savior. And that only works when you start to think of Jesus as your savior. There's no other man that you can confuse for God. It's the same thing we see in these cults of personality that come up, you know, and you get these celebrity pastors or celebrity Christians, or in in the secular world, you get somebody like a Beyonce who becomes the queen, right? That's what she's called a lot of the time online, right? You get these people who you put all of your expectations on, not really focusing on the secular because I think maybe we can see that for what it is. Maybe Kim Kardashian isn't the person who should order your life. Maybe. But in the church, how often do we look towards someone and start putting all of our expectations on them? That famous prophet or leader or teacher who, oh, well, I'm just doing what they said I should do. And I don't need God because I got this person. Now, we may not consciously think this, but you know that this tendency can develop. And it's so dangerous because the minute the pastor is delayed on the mountain, we can make ourselves a golden calf. We can panic. So we get hints as to what's going on in these people's lives from these little back and forth but then we get uh yahweh following up so he's like getting moses attention they're messing up so what's going on here yahweh says to moses i have seen this people and behold it is a stiff-necked people i love that line (laughs) it's just like god's like i've looked at them and i have realized that they are a stubborn people you'd have to be blind not to see it Now, therefore, he's talking to Moses, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation out of you. This is a testing point for Moses. 
Because God's saying, let me alone. What does that imply? It implies that if Moses doesn't let him alone, then something else can be done besides God consuming with fire all the people. Let me alone so that I can go destroy them. And Moses, who even in earlier chapters we've seen, can be a little bit frustrated with the stiff-necked Israelites, has his moment here. Because not only will God destroy the people, he's giving Moses this, hey, if you let me alone, I'm going to go do this. But God will make Moses a great nation. Hmm. Wouldn't you like to be the father of the nations? Another interesting thing is even though these Israelites are abandoning the covenant that God made with them, God is remaining faithful to his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's still going to make the Israelites a great nation. The question is, are they going to be in that great nation or are they going to be dead? In fact, that might be the question that we have for each of us today in the church. God will always be faithful to his promises. Christ came to save the world. The question for us today is, are you going to be in that kingdom or are you going to be dead? You have life and death before you. Choose to live in the kingdom. Christ the King Sunday. Let's choose to submit ourselves to him. So, let's look here. What does Moses say? Moses implored Yahweh his God and said, O Lord, Yahweh, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? So first of all, he pushes it back on God like, hey, don't, 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 don't pretend like this isn't your people, God. Don't pretend like you didn't do all of this. I know I didn't do all of this. Imagine if Moses heard God saying that. Your people who you brought out of Egypt, Moses, and I'll make you a great nation. And something in him said, ooh, I did all of this. And so God wants me to be the king. This is, his, this is why we like Moses. That's why they call him the meekest man who ever lived in the New Testament. Because of decisions like this where instead of that, he argues for the Israelites on behalf. He intercedes for them. So, O oh Lord, who you, you brought these people out of the land of Egypt with great power, why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. In all this land that I have promised you, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And Yahweh relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. That reveals who God is. If God was the Old Testament God, as we sometimes refer to him in our conversation, I've heard people say, why? The Old Testament God just killed everybody. Then why didn't he kill these people? Because if you think that that's who God was in the Old Testament, you're not looking closely enough. You're not reading through the light of the entirety of what God's doing. God, even though he had every right to smite those people from the face of the earth, he had every right. There wouldn't be anything unjust about it. Instead, he chose out of his compassion mercy. It's not like Moses made a legal argument here. He just said, hey, Remember your kindness to them. Remember your promises to them. And don't do it, please. Plus, the Egyptians might make fun of us. So don't do it, God. But God, in his mercy, relented 
from the disaster. And so Moses gets to go back down the mountain and see what's going on. In verse 15, then Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and onto the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. As we're jumping through here, that engraved word about God engraving on the tablet, it matches with the word Aaron engraving the golden calf. There's a link here between this is what humans come up with is a golden calf. What God comes up with is the Ten Commandments. A little bit of a different way of thinking about the world. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it's not the shouting for victory or the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire, ground it to powder, and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. This is that merciful Moses who just pleaded with God, don't destroy your people. But then he sees it with his own eyes and he goes, oh, no. No, they did not just do this. And he throws the testimony on the ground, symbolizing the breaking of the covenant that God wanted to make with his people, that he would be their God if he just, they followed his ways. And then he burns the calf down to powder. And in a parody of the Eucharist, where we get God's freely given body and blood, they have to drink their idol that they have made, the poisonous God that they crafted for themselves. Hmm. This is what happens when you worship that which is not God. You have to deal with the consequences. You've brewed the poison, now you've got to drink it. So what's going on here? Well, there's a lot of different commentary. They're talking about, well, the people that drank it, that worshiped the idol, would be exposed somehow through this. And then the people who didn't worship the idol wouldn't be exposed, that this is some sort of test. I'm just taking this symbolic thing is that that which you worship will come into you. So if you worship anything less than God who would reside in you if you let him, then you will become less and less and less. Until you become the people who are deserving of and would freely choose hell. That's the transformation that happens. If you don't choose God, then you're just choosing the other way. There's no middle ground for us. So, Moses says to Aaron, how are we going to fix this problem? Well, he first goes to Aaron and he goes, I left you in charge, dude. And this is his brother. So I have a feeling there was some familiarity in this, right? What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? Reread the text. They didn't have to do much to get Aaron involved. And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. Like what? (laughs) Aaron, unfortunately, reminds me a lot of my younger self, and maybe my current self. 
a desire that's deep in each of us to say, it's not my fault. I mean, Adam, our father, in natural terms, did the exact same thing. This woman you gave me made me eat this. Aaron, you know how evil those Israelites are. They made me do it. And I threw all that golden fire and boop, out came the calf. When we're told earlier, he's hand sculpted this thing. It's a great opposition between Aaron, who leads the people into evil and blames the people for it, and Moses, who tries to lead them to righteousness and defends the people against Yahweh. Who do you want to be? I want to be like Moses. I want to be for all the people. The spirit that says, look at that person, look at how bad they are, it's the same spirit that says, it's not my fault. So watch yourself when you want to put the blame outside of you for the evil in this world. Okay, so basically Aaron says, the reason why I called a feast was because of this miracle that the powder went into the fire and out came a golden calf. So I said, feast to Yahweh, that must be his blessing, right? And we know that's all not true, but he's trying to justify himself. But here's a question. Why is it, why did God, even before they made the golden calf, which we found out was a bad idea, why did God say, don't make any image of me ever? In the commandment, right? Do not make a graven image. Why didn't God just give them another image to worship? Something to look to so that when Moses was gone, they could still look to God through this image. The reason is there's only one image of God, period. And it is Jesus. Nothing else is an image of God. And if we try to make an image, we will not make God. We won't even make a true representation of him. We will always make something false if we try and make something that represents God. The only way that we get to know this God who is unknowable is by relating to him. Period. You can't read a book about God and then know him. You can't memorize a list of propositions. In fact, Jesus says, even the demons know who God is. They probably know more than we do when it comes to theology. But they don't know him. In fact, the way that we get to know God, we're told, is the way that a spouse gets to know their spouse. A husband, their wife, a wife, their husband. Through intimate knowledge and communion forever. Have you ever met somebody who you had a particular idea of them? Either they were mean or arrogant or whatever, and you just, you didn't like them. For whatever reason, they just struck you the wrong way. And then, you know, a few months down the road, you get an opportunity to talk with them, to get to know them. And all of a sudden, you're like, wow, this person's great. That's what it means to make an image of God before you get to know him. Or this happens when we know somebody really well, like I see this happen with me and my wife. We haven't connected because of the busyness of life. We start to think, we start to build up an image of the other person that is not true. We'll start bickering over the littlest things. And then when we finally get a chance to reconnect, we have to wade through it. And all of a sudden we're like, oh, you mean you didn't park the car that way to annoy me? It's like, no, 
It was just something that happened, right? And what happened is those little things that got under my skin or whatever it was, I started to build an image of Haley that was not Haley. And in the same way, when we don't connect with God, we start thinking, oh, the reason my car broke down is because God's mad at me. Or the reason why I haven't had been successful in business is because I did this sinful thing and God's holding it against me. That's not God. That is your own golden calf in your head that you worship. Because when you look at the golden calf story, it's not like they were making Baal, which that happens later, but they weren't making a different God. They were trying to make God and they just did it wrong. Because you can't know God without relating to him. So how do we avoid the golden calf problem? It's not that we... There's no external thing that we're tempted to do when it comes to idolatry, right? None of us are going home and sketching up our own idol to build in our garage, right? That's not our temptation. Our temptation is all up here. What do you, who do you think God is in your mind? We avoid this by knowing who God is. I'll tell you one quick story that changed my life. When I had this image of God that I was pretty sure of when I was growing up, and I went to college, and I had this opportunity to do this sozo counseling healing session, um, and it was really great. I knew the guy really well. He brought me into the office, and he said, okay, my form of counseling is this. Let's invite God into the room and see what happens. Now, I know there's probably plenty of people who abuse this, that, or the other thing. But this guy who I knew and trusted knew what he was doing. And he said, okay, we're going to do this. You're going to close your eyes, and you're going to invite God the Father into the room and tell me what you see. So I close my eyes, and I start, I invite God. Yeah, I have to say it out loud. It's a little uncomfortable, but, you know, it's God. So (laughs) he, he supposedly loves us, so I felt comfortable inviting him. But in my head, all I saw was myself holding a report card and or a discipline report it was both at the same time as one of those weird like dreamlike things where i was holding a discipline report a report card and god was sitting in judgment over me so i shared that and i felt that shame that burden that guilt when you've done something wrong or you haven't measured up and it was just sitting in there and it was uncomfortable i didn't want to be with god the father and then he said well why don't you invite jesus into the room I closed my eyes and said, Jesus, would you come into the room? And he said, what do you see? And what happened is I saw Jesus. I mean, I don't think it was some theophany. I know some people have these miraculous things where they see Jesus. But I just saw him come and take that report card, and he turned, and he just nailed it to the cross. That discipline report, that report card. And all of a sudden, something in me broke. Because even though I knew I had been to St. Michael's for many years, God loves you. He's not mad at you. Even though I knew that. I had still crafted an image in my head of a God who was looking for me to either be praised when I did good or be disciplined when I did bad. And what God wanted me to know is actually his affection towards me did not change whether I did good or bad. Now, we are told that hopefully someday we get to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's not like God doesn't care how we live our life. He invites us into life and life abundantly. But if you think that God is a taskmaster, 
who is looking out for everything you do right and everything you do wrong and tallying those in his affection towards you, which somewhere deep inside I did, you're going to be afraid to go to God the Father because you'll never measure up. And so how do we avoid the golden calf syndrome that the Israelites have? Well, you need to pursue an intimate knowledge of who God is. And you can never stop. Because he will reveal himself to you. Now, that was a cool situation with that counselor. Maybe there's another person, your home group leader, prays with you. Maybe you get a prophetic word. You won't be doing it alone, is my point. Yes, you need to seek him in your quiet time, but get around people who believe for you, who want to see you succeed, who want to introduce you to who God is. We don't want to live our life with a bad image of God. It only leads to bad places. We need to know who God is. Now, we're not going to uh, go into the fullness. There's a couple other aspects of this story, but I just want to bring up one thing. So what was the consequence for Israel for worshiping the golden calf? Well, Moses took the Levites, and they went out, and they slew about 3,000 people that day. What you think about God matters. Now, we are in the new covenant, so God tends to not just slay 3,000 people on a regular basis. But he redeemed even this situation in the same phrase being used in Pentecost. And about 3,000 people were added to the church that day. What am I saying here? I'm saying that you have a choice before you, death and life. And God's always looking for life for you. But you have a choice. So as we think about the golden calf, as we worship Christ the King, I invite every one of us to rededicate our lives to following Christ the King. But that requires more than just saying, I'll do whatever Jesus wants me to do. It requires knowing who Jesus is. Otherwise, you'll be following a golden calf. Let's end with a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see who you really are. I pray that you would teach us day in and day out how to relate to you how to participate in your love and grace towards us, and how to walk in your commands. And Lord, as we celebrate Christ the King Sunday today, we thank you that you are King of kings and Lord of lords in this place and forever, no matter our stance towards you. And lastly, we pray that you would help us to walk from this day forward into the abundance of your kingdom, knowing that we have been set free. In Jesus' name, amen. you with the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man 
and was crucified Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Brothers and sisters, all things are subject to the rule of Jesus, our great God and King. Therefore, let us bring our needs and those of the whole world before his throne. That the patriarch, all bishops, and other church leaders will live holy lives reflecting God's kingdom on earth. Lord, in your mercy. That the church will boldly proclaim and celebrate Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords to the ends of the earth. Lord, in your mercy. That government leaders will honor Christ as King, the Lord and giver of life, by abolishing the practices of abortion and euthanasia. Lord, in your mercy, that we will see Jesus in the imprisoned, the homeless, the stranger, and even our enemies. Lord, in your mercy, that we will know the height and depth, the length and width of God's love for us and share it with those we meet. Lord, in your mercy, that we will walk in the footsteps of Jesus on the path of obedient faith and sacrificial love. Lord, in your mercy, that authors, artists, performers, and producers will use their talents to glorify God and influence people to righteous living. Lord, in your mercy, transferred us into the kingdom of your beloved Son. Hear our prayer and grant us the grace to glorify you as King. In all that we say and do, we ask this through Christ our King. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. And with your spirit. Turn and greet your neighbors with the peace of the Lord. a quick note if i could uh encourage everybody on the screens there are different announcements up there a couple of those things i want to call out in particular i'm assuming they'll show up here sooner or later (laughs) happy thanksgiving that's coming up i hope you all will take time this thursday to uh, be thankful for all the things, that, good, good things here, that this year you. has brought to you, and I'm sure you can find them. On Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, the men will get together here as usual, um, 7 p.m., to talk business 
and have fellowship with one another. So be here if you are able for that men's meeting. Um, and also I want to call out the ladies' cookie exchange. We never have these meetings for men, cookie exchange. If the men on Wednesday want to bring cookies, I'd be happy to eat them all. <laughs> But for our ladies, I encourage you to participate in that. Uh, if you have questions about details or whatever, see uh, Mia or Debbie and find out about that. And there are lots of other things that we have planning. So just keep your eyes on that space. Fill in the blanks. And again, let me just say um, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God.
baptized believers to receive the body and blood of Christ. This is the table of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. Come to the table. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right. Father, all-powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. For you anointed your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, as eternal priest and king of all creation so that by offering himself on the altar of the cross as a spotless sacrifice, he might accomplish the mysteries of human redemption and make all created things subject to his rule. He might present to you, God the Father, an eternal and universal kingdom, a kingdom of truth and life, a kingdom of holiness and grace, a kingdom of justice, love, and peace. And so with all the choirs of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory and join in their unending hymn of praise.
Lord, you are holy indeed, the fountain of all holiness. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts and make them holy, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he was given up to death, the death he freely accepted, he took bread. He gave you thanks, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. When supper was ended, he took the cup. Again, he gave you thanks and praise. He gave the cup to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Let us proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love together with our patriarch, Craig, our Bishop Douglas, and all the clergy. Remember those for whom we now pray. Susan, Naomi, Sonia, Sandra, Karen, Tammy, Denisa, Lori, David, the Burnett family, the House family, the Sissy and Carus family, the Marines and sailors of Camp Pendleton and all those who serve in our armed forces. You can add the names of the people you're praying for. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and broken. As we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles, martyrs, and all the saints. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ, by him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit. All honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and so we have the courage to pray. Our Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Jesus died for you and feed on him in your hearts with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to his supper.
trip for them so uh, still even so keep them in your prayers as they travel I want to also just um, let me hold this thing up here this is uh, this was brought in by a family in our church to be blessed it's an icon of Christ the King so I want to bless this now uh, for that family but I thought you'd like to at least have a look at that they may have to walk around with it after church Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you are our King. We pray that you would always be with us, Lord God, to watch over and keep us, Lord Jesus, as we turn to you as our King. And Lord, I pray that you would bless this icon in this family's home, Lord God, and in the church for generations and generations to come, calling into their hearts and minds your presence with them and kingship over them. All this we pray in your name, Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let us pray. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, 
you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who roam throughout the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. As you go out from this place, always remember the gospel, that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself and not counting your sins against you. God loves you, God has forgiven you, and God will never leave you nor forsake you. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you and those you love and care for now and forever. Amen. Jesus has